welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Cognified. I'm Gemma Milne, and once a month we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. As COVID-19 took its grip and the world went into lockdown, people everywhere turned to online services to facilitate their every need. Purchasing habits changed overnight, but as lockdown eases and shops start to reopen, what does this really mean for brands and retailers, both online and in-store? Today, I'm joined by Hugh Fletcher, Head of Thought Leadership at Wonderman Thompson Commerce and Cognified's Director of Strategy and Consulting, Herb Vanderad. Hugh, Herb, thank you so much for coming and joining us uh, virtually on the show. I wonder if you could both start by giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself um, and a little bit about what you've been working on recently. Hugh, let's start with you. Yeah, so hello, so my name's Hugh Fletcher. I look after uh, Thought Leadership for Wonderman Thompson Commerce. What does that mean? Well, that means just to really help our clients and any prospects thinking about what might happen in the future so they can prepare for it. And lots of that's based on research that we do. So um, in the last few months, we've been doing a lot of research. Obviously, the world's changed quite significantly. Um, And I think one of the things we're going to be talking about today is some of the research that we've done on the impact of COVID, how that's affected retail, how that's affected online sales. Um, But we also do research into things like B2B. um, And we've also got historic research into um, Generation Alpha, so the next generation of, of consumers as well. So lots of research, lots of stats that we can talk about. Amazing. Thank you, Hugh. Herb, let's hear from you. Hi there, Gemma. Uh, Yes, I'm Herb van der Raad. I look after strategy and consulting for Cognified as part of uh, Wonderman Thompson uh, Technology. Um, Yeah, I I work with uh, quite a few of our clients looking at how to get the most out of uh, customer experiences, but particularly around content marketing and how to get the, the full power and impact from content in those experiences. One of the things that I've been working on recently and uh, with you is looking at how do retailers and how do brands more effectively leverage content and experience as part of their overall proposition, uh, especially in terms of uh, keeping consumers engaged and uh, on their sites as well. Um, So yeah, looking forward to talking about that. Amazing. So I think one of the big questions, um, other than, of course, you know, how we how we manage the the pandemic from a sort of public health perspective and economic perspective, but from a brand's perspective, one of the big questions has been what has been the change in terms of consumers and outlooks towards the future? We have a lot of speculation, um, particularly in the sort of cultural commentary and in the press. But I would love to hear from you, Hugh, in, in terms of the research that you've been doing over the last couple of months. You know, how has this pandemic really affected consumers and their outlook towards the future? Yeah, sure. So I think I think probably the first thing to say is that that you can look at this in two ways. You can either see this as a, a humongous change in how consumers are acting, or you can see it as just an acceleration. And I think probably our view is that this has just accelerated a lot of behaviors that we've we've been predicting have been coming um, in the future. Um, it's just made people much more comfortable with technology, for instance. So uh, I don't know about I don't know about any of you guys, but sort of my, my mother has never been very technology literate. Um, she now video conferences with ease. My, my kids, for instance, are now absolute whizzes on uh, video conferencing, computers, iPads, have uh, been doing their schooling through it. So we have a very different set of consumers. I think that was coming anyway, but like I say, it's been accelerated. And sort of the big thing we've seen is just much more shopping online. Now, obviously that was forced because of lockdown. Um, many more people being forced to buy products that they historically would have bought in shops online. Um, But I think also 
coupled with that that feeling of fear and uncertainty about the future what we'll see is that that will ultimately result in more and more sales shifting to the online space which again would have happened um, but just is now going to happen much more quickly what about um from your perspective Harold? what have you been seeing in terms of this kind of the the future outlook of consumers well, one thing that stood out for me, I think, is um, maybe some of the, the, the change in demographic, um, p- particularly around uh, uh, online shopping and some of the shopping behaviors. So my, uh, my elderly neighbors, for example, they, you know, um, a typical uh, suburban couple like going out to uh, the shop every now and again because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of their weekly outing. But obviously, um, after COVID um, hit, we... We actually started doing some of their shopping for them so that they could uh, isolate a little bit more at, at home. Um, but gradually from doing sort of their, their weekly shop, uh, that changed to just getting some of the fresh produce and, uh, and essentials because um, both Chris and Jeremy started doing everything online. So uh, wine, which was normally part of what, uh, what I had to pick up uh, uh, for them, they were getting home delivered, a far more prolific use of, um, of Amazon. Um, and uh, pretty much uh, got an elderly couple that would never have gone on any site to buy anything before, uh, starting to pretty much get most of their essentials and most of what they need online. And uh, both of them have said to me, this is how they're going to do it. Um, All of those big things they're going to be doing online, uh, and it is only going to be the fresh produce and milk and uh, some of the the, the daily essentials that they'll, they'll pop out for in the future. Amazing. So in terms of this this massive shift, particularly with retail um, to the online space, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, what matters to consumers? And I think this also ties back to the point that you made here at the start about kind of reaction versus acceleration. I think there's a level of acceptance of, shall we say, sluggish or clunky online systems back in April. But obviously now there's a bit more expectation uh, for things to, to run a bit more smoothly, particularly if we're going to move forward. And this is now what we're to accept. So Hugh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about this and um, what matters to consumers when shopping online, what their expectations are. Yeah, sure. So I think we'll, we'll we'll probably talk later a bit about the the overall experience and particularly about sort of the the online experience when someone gets to the site. Um, but when we talk about experience, even though we're sort of an e-commerce um, consultancy, we tend to encourage people to look across the whole experience, and that that is from the initial inspiration uh, phase right through to when you actually receive the product. And interesting, what came through from lots of our research and lots of the feedback that we got was that it was things like free delivery um, that was very important, uh, fast delivery, convenient delivery. Now, that's that's pretty obvious based on the fact that we're all going to be based at home. We want those products to get to us quickly and easily. Um, but another thing that came up very clearly was availability. I think lots of businesses have been struggling with uh, stock, uh, stock management, and also the communication of stock, what's in and out of stock. So I think one of the things I really noticed during lockdown and subsequently afterwards was, whereas before you might be able to go online and very easily find products which you could purchase, uh, during lockdown, you were going online, you were finding the product, you were potentially going through to a site, clicking on it to purchase, only then to find out that it was out of stock. Um, So lots of businesses are reacting to the fact that normally supply chains are working very efficiently, but that um, COVID-19 had affected those pretty heavily. So we saw a lot of people thinking about not necessarily the digital elements of e-commerce and online ordering, we were thinking about kind of the physical elements. 
And I think that's interesting because we've for a long time talked about how important infrastructure is um, to any businesses that want to be able to provide uh, multi-channel and omni-channel operations. Interestingly also, when we then talked to consumers about what they would change with the online experience, it was then that they started to talk about returns. So easy returns, free returns, um, and again, talking about those replacement of uh, products that are out of stock very quickly and also the communication of products and, and why and when they were going to be back in stock. Um, so we saw a lot of things, um, not so many things about the actual experience themselves online, but lots about the overall experience from the order phase right through to that actually delivery um, to, to when that person actually had those products in their hands. So I just want to build on a few of the things you, you said there, Hugh, because I think that was really interesting. I think what you were saying about consumers obviously wanting free delivery, wanting things to be available, sometimes these are things that businesses, particularly at the moment as, with, as you said, supply chains, simply cannot just do because a customer wants. We cannot just make it free. We cannot just um, you know, get new things that we can't, we can't source. So what can businesses do from an online experience perspective or from a marketing perspective, perhaps from a you know what is written on the website, what kind of comms goes out to manage that sort of gap where a consumer might not necessarily understand the economics of why a business can't do it, but is still having that expectation, the brand wanting to still come across as a sort of trusted, uh, trusted source for them. Yeah, I think that, that's the big challenge. And I think what, what we saw is that the businesses that were really successful during lockdown were successful because they had the, those pieces of infrastructure in place and they were used to dealing with these issues. Um, obviously, one of the big winners from, from lockdown was people like Amazon. So, um, you know, they were used to it. For those businesses that, that weren't and were sort of semi-playing catch-up, I, I think there are lots of things they could do. I think probably the most important thing they can do is, is just be clear and be honest. Um, so it's a very frustrating customer experience to to find the inspiration to do the search to find the product you want only then to be let down at the point at which you want to add it to your cart or potentially to to order um, and I think lots of consumers are quite forgiving during this period so that so people aren't necessarily not understanding what the challenges are I think they do understand those but they want organizations to be honest with them to be clear to really clearly signpost what's out of stock, to really clearly signpost what's back in stock, to clearly signpost when products can be can get delivered by and actually um, deliver on those promises. And I think in those scenarios, then you then put the the decision in the hands of the consumer to decide whether they're going to wait, whether they're they're happy for wait some, uh, for something to get back into stock, or whether they're going to go elsewhere. And I think that's really important. That just because we're in a very challenging time, and just because some businesses are, are finding some challenges around stock availability and delivery that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be honest with what's happening. And I think consumers really appreciate that honesty and that clarity from businesses. Amazing. And Herb, from your perspective, I mean, obviously, um, you know, you worked um, alongside one of them in Thompson Commerce on the on the report around translating content into commerce, um, which we'll get in, onto a little bit later on. On this point about sort of expectation management, what's the what's the role of content here? Can it be something that can be kind of wielded as a tool for, for sort of plugging that gap? From a scenario where you have that kind of, uh, you know, this is out of stock, uh, but this is an alternative that we can recommend. That's something that we're seeing now uh, from a stock shortage or you know, um, uh, a delivery uh, constraint perspective. But when we take that and think through uh, the kinds of things that we were talking to uh, customers about before COVID around being able to use content to drive recommendations um, to you know once somebody's looked at something how do you uh, how do you draw some insight from 
what a customer has engaged with and how they've engaged with the con uh, content to be able to serve more relevant and more personalized content. When you strip it back, the same kind of capabilities that you need to be able to respond to a stock shortage saying this is out but you, you might be interested in this. It's the same kind of concepts, it's the same kind of logic, it's the same kind of things that's, uh, that, that you'd need to uh, contextualize and, and personalize experiences. So um, I, I think there may well be a bit more uh, of a focus of being able to get that capability in place quicker uh, and not for, let's say, some of um, what folks might see as a, you know, we would like to be able to get to personalizing experiences at some point in the future to actually we've got to do it now. Um, there's, uh, I think there is going to be a, a sense of uh, urgency and need to accelerate uh, on this path because uh, the volume of uh, transactions coming online and being able to you know, um, interact and engage uh, with customers like you would in a store, um, with most of the, the the transactions or a lot of the a lot more of the volume going online, you've got to be able to interact, not just you know serve up a a static catalog. I think we we also see this a lot in sort of the service and 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 viewing what you deliver to to customers as as a service. So businesses that did very well tended to offer that service, whatever that might be. That service might be the delivery element, it might be the recommendation, it might be the experience. But that overall service has to be good, and we increasingly see consumers becoming loyal to service rather than to brand. It's a trend we've been looking at for sort of three years now, and I think it's very important right now. We see consumers who are more inclined to get products that are right for them that are available for them that they can get easily and quickly and conveniently rather than waiting for the brand that they actually want and i think that's a big challenge for lots of organizations so i think that's actually that point brings me quite nicely on to the next point um which of course is amazon we can't we can't have a discussion about online commerce without talking about amazon and i think there's, there's an interesting discussion um to be had here because in some sense pre-covid you know it, all the discussion was about amazon as a threat amazon as a threat you know how do you kind of make sure you can still play in this in this realm with the pandemic in some sense you can say well Amazon have got this massive upper hand because they are used to being able to manage their stock and get things to people quickly, have that service. But then at the same time, you can also argue um, that, you know, the complete change in the way customers are even thinking about buying, trying to translate offline to online, looking at how other brands are doing it is a bit of an opportunity for brands other than Amazon to, um, to, as you say, accelerate and do things differently and try and satisfy customers in a time when people are looking uh, for brands to play that supporting role. So I wonder, Hugh, if you could start by telling us a little bit about, you know, how have customers been thinking about where they shop? How do you think about Amazon and, and what can brands do to kind of claim their stake right now? Yeah, I think there's two parts to this story. So there's one one is the, the very strong performance from Amazon, but but the other part is is the opportunity that exists for for brands and organizations. So our stats say that through lockdown, uh, about 35% of all online spend was through Amazon. Um, we also asked consumers what they predicted that spend would be in a sort of a post-COVID world. We, we wanted to imagine that, and that's that's pretty hard to imagine right now, but, uh, but we asked them to imagine it, and they said that it was going to be about 31% of all of their online spend was going to go through Amazon. And we've historically looked at this percentage that that goes through Amazon and it's it's on the increase. Um, I think what that means is that they're in a very strong position but there is a significant amount 
of uh, online spend, which is not going through Amazon. Um, and when we talk about Amazon, we always talk about sort of the ease of defaulting to Amazon. It's it's very easy to search there. It's very easy to transact there. Um, and it be can become almost sort of an, an automatic way of purchasing online. What we've also found is that it's very strong in the inspiration phase too, which we hadn't always seen before. And you tend to think of Amazon as being quite transactional. Mm. Um, but actually what we're seeing is that more, more customers are going there for their inspiration too, which is, which is a very challenging environment for everyone else who wants to get involved. That being said, you know, what we see is that there is still inspiration. Um, I think about 18% that goes to uh, branded sites. There's still about 33% of online searches that goes to branded sites too. The challenge is then that, that drop off. So once someone comes to your site and looks and searches for your products, how do you then stop them from dropping off elsewhere? And I think actually lockdown has been quite interesting for, for that because uh, back to my point about stock availability, um, lots of consumers have been forced to look elsewhere for the products that they want. So, uh, you know, I, like like many other people, was given multiple DIY jobs to do during, during lockdown. Um, you know, my wife wanted a particular type of paint. We couldn't find that anywhere other than the direct-to-consumer site of that, of that paint manufacturer. And we had to make a call. Did we want that paint? And did we want to wait three weeks? Or did we want to go for, for something else? And actually, we, we decided to wait and do that. Now, that is a direct-to-consumer purchase on a brand that we would never historically have done. Um, we probably would have gone into store and bought it at B&Q or Homebase or something like that. So I think while Amazon's performance was incredibly strong, what we also saw was other people considering other mm. brands and organizations and looking and searching there. Of course, the question is then once people are on your site, how can you ensure that they convert? And, um, you know, lots of the thinking that we've been doing, lots of the thinking that, that Herb's been doing is around, you know, how can you really encourage consumers not then to drop off, go elsewhere, but to actually part with their cash while they're while they're on those sites? And, and that brings me nicely to my next question, which was exactly that uh, for you, Herb, and, and looking at the, the work that you've been doing. You know, what can and should brands offer when selling directly to customers on their own site that, you know, actually arguably marketplaces like Amazon perhaps could not do? Um, yeah, so as Hugh says, there's, um, there, there's difference between, let's say, uh, inspiration and transaction. Uh, and actually, I think, um, with COVID and folks having to start to look more and more across the board online, that there, there actually might be a good window for uh, branded sites to actually pick up uh, more consumer engagement. So how does that happen? Is um, as she says, it's it's having something which you can't easily have on a marketplace site. Uh, it could be as simple as the product. So I can't buy that product on, uh, on Amazon. Um, so uh, there, there are levers around product exclusivity. Um, but we also recognize that most brands and most retailers don't want to cut off channels. They would like to extend channels. But you also want to be able to capitalize on your own estates as well. That's where we've been sort of looking at how do you capitalize on that owned estate and how do you drive a, a far more direct um, relationship with consumers all the way through to, uh, to the transaction as well. And this is where we see the strength of uh, content and um, part of that exclusivity around what can I get as either inspirational content or 
content as part of an experience that I can get on the branded website that I can't just get uh, on a marketplace. So uh, take one of my uh, fashion retail uh, customers uh, over the recent past where uh, you, know, you, you, you might go and look for inspiration for uh, a shirt or you know, a skirt or, 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 or something on the branded website. Um, and then sort of start to skip around and see what other styles there are and, uh, and maybe you know, go off and buy, buy the same thing in a marketplace. That's quite easy and I think a lot of people do that, especially when they're looking for um, what I call you know, is price arbitrage. Where can I get the same thing for the, uh, for, for the lowest price? Now, take that same type of experience and say it's not just representing that same product in almost a same catalog style that I'd be able to see on any other marketplace site. But when I start to get more value by being there, uh, then the price of the product and um, e even if I could get it some, uh, somewhere else starts to be diluted. And the kind of thing I'm talking about now is what if I can build my ideal wardrobe there and I have you know both uh, my existing uh, clothes that I've bought and I've got things that get mixed and matched for me and say here are things that if you buy them will complement your wardrobe and here are some you know, uh, accessories that go with it etc etc. So now I've got a compelling reason to say well this is a good place for me to, to be to sort of plan my wardrobe, plan my fashion, plan what I'm going to buy next. Um, so I keep on coming back here. Um, because it's giving me value and now uh, the, the, the price of the individual products and the price of the individual items start to become less important to me um, and uh, you know uh, especially when you put that kind of aspirational aspect into it saying here are the things that I would like anything that has that kind of aspirational aspect to it and I can only get it here um, those, those are things which can significantly offset, well, I'm just going to try and look for a shirt at the lowest price on any marketplace. And it's those kinds of experiences and it's that kind of content um, that brands should be looking at, say, um, beyond the article itself and even beyond the supply chain of the article. What is it that we can do um, that is uh, sort of a longer term value exchange with the consumer through content that Consumers are going to come back to us, not just for inspiration, but I want to convert here. I want to stay here. This is a good place for me to be. And we see it in automotive as well. I mean, a while back in Wonderman Thompson, we, we used um, uh, the, the automotive purchasing lifecycle as a really good example with how customers engage with the site. When I'm looking for a car, big, massive spike. And then after the purchase, nothing until something goes wrong. Mm. And that has... Uh, turned around significantly um, through again that kind of value exchange and that va uh, va valuable content. So um, most car manufacturers, you, you will get uh, an app, um, and the app will give you information around you know your tire pressure currently and that kind of thing. But it's you know that there's value that that kind of content and that kind of interaction uh, gives you. And when it comes down to, for example, um, uh, folks booking cars into service. It is far quicker, it's far more convenient, it is already part of the life cycle that I'm engaging with a car manufacturer's site on a regular basis that it just 
signals that my car needs a service and it gives me a, a, a potential service slot and I book it directly at the manufacturer at that premium price rather than going down to my local um, and getting the car service for, you know, uh, I don't know, even 20% less. Mm. It's that kind of convenience. It's that kind of value add that sort of, you know, uh, it, it does. It, it, it significantly dilutes price arbitrage. I want to also talk about compromise and I'd love to hear um, both of your guys' thoughts on this because I think particularly when we're talking about um, Amazon, I think customers are now pretty aware of the sort of ethical discussions around um, not buying on Amazon, but it does feel like a compromise having to not shop there because it is easier, it is faster, you can get something the next day, all these sorts of things. Um, so instead of brands trying to replicate that particular experience, which they cannot do unless they're going to be, you know, economically take a massive hit for it. I'm wondering, is there a way that brands can kind of bring a different kind of experience, a different kind of expectation or fulfill a different kind of expectation? So let me give you an example. I don't buy books from Amazon. Um, I always buy from independent bookshops because I think they're brilliant, um, but they always take much longer to come. However, almost all of them, normally will say will write your name on the package thanks for purchasing or they'll send you an email to say thanks it's very personal it's very one-to-one and um, whereas another experience I had was I bought a smartwatch direct from the website but it got lost in the post and it was essentially computer says no in terms of getting it back I know to expect that from Amazon if that happens although they normally will replace it I don't expect that if I buy you know direct you kind of you almost want to be rewarded for doing the ethical thing so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how can brands manage that compromise and also manage that feeling of reward perhaps that a customer has sort of chosen to do to make that compromise to buy direct you let's start with you yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. I think we, when we talk about this, we talk about, you know, what would encourage a consumer not to take the easiest route? Um, because we as consumers tend to find what, what is easiest. And we, we will always talk about range, ease, speed and convenience. So that's kind of your driving factors. Like you say, when you go direct to a brand, you, you expect there to be some kind of benefit to you for doing so and i guess we sort of use the analogy of, of you know michelin stars so you know michelin stars are there to say one one michelin star is it's worth going to this to this uh, i mean worth taking a, a stop to go to this restaurant two was it's worth taking uh, a detour on your journey and three michelin star was it's worth making a specific journey for so we sort of always say you know i know it's a bit um it's a bit cringeworthy as an example but kind of what, what makes your site sort of like three michelin star worthy why would someone make a more convoluted journey to get there there has to be some kind of benefit now what we know from amazon is very slick you talked about products not being delivered um i had a problem with a product not being delivered the other day with amazon i got on them today they replaced it no issues no no problem so they're very good at lots of stuff but there's other stuff that they're not so good at and, and we always focus on what we call wacd so what amazon cannot do mm. Um, now, important to say that Amazon's also looking at what Amazon can't do and trying to rectify those things. But, but we kind of look across a number of different areas. So one of the first thing is is to sort of stand for something really. So um, Amazon, although it would say it stands for its its customers and its consumers, you know, it doesn't really stand for anything other big anything other than that and anything bigger than that. Um, Whereas you were talking about your independent bookstores, you know, they're talking about sort of curation of ranges. They're talking about that experience, that, that the expertise in knowing what the right books are, um, having read those books, being able to recommend them. So, so being able to stand for something is very important. And what we increasingly see is that um, 
is that consumers want organizations that are ethically and morally sound and we start to see sort of the environment coming through as a much bigger factor in younger age groups so i think it's 48 percent will actively choose a, a company or a brand that has um, and acts environmentally responsibly. So I think it's important to stand for something. That's something we'd always talk about. And if you stand for something, make sure that you tell that in your story. Uh, we also talk about sort of being specialist in curating. So um, Herb mentioned this in terms of building a wardrobe, but you know what many independent brands and organizations have is expertise in that field. Amazon sells at scale and it doesn't necessarily curate products for you, uh, bundle products for you, suggest things for you. They would probably argue that their customer reviews do those for you, but sometimes you want an expert to, to provide you with the, uh, with the right elements, with the right direction. Um, and of course, content plays a huge role in that. There's also the element of community. So what does it mean to buy from Amazon? nothing really but if you buy from a specific brand you know it's saying something about you maybe it's saying something about the group you want to be part of and i think that's important to 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 use delivering comms in the waiting phase i think is really important so while um amazon is by far and away the best delivery uh company out there if you have to wait longer for something, that's that's not always ideal, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative. So you talked about waiting longer for your book to arrive, but that when it did arrive, it had a nice handwritten note. So, so that's that's a way of sort of using that extra uh, delivery time to give to give someone a little bit of benefit at the end. Her reference the automotive industry, which which I worked in for about 11 and a half years, one of the things we did when we were in the automotive industry was look at that waiting phase between someone ordering a car to actually getting it. And we started to produce content, which we sent to them via sort of an online CRM portal, whereby we told them at what stage their car was at. So, you know, it's being built now. Um, you know, the windscreen's going in, it's being painted now. Interestingly, we, we, we picked out a nice little bit of information, which was about emu feathers, which are used to polish the cars. And that was actually picked up by loads of customers as being really interesting. So those small kind of snippets of information about why things might take longer to arrive are really important. So if something's being built, if something's being handcrafted, then consumers want to know it. And then what we historically used to do is also talk about use your kind of physical stores and the experience in physical stores to your advantage, because obviously Amazon, not in physical stores, um, other businesses have uh, decades worth of uh, retail history and experience they should use those to, to their advantage now clearly the world's changed slightly um, in the sense that physical stores are now under an enormous amount of pressure we talked about more going online but i still think that experience of of, of retail and physical retail and the way consumers are sold to and upsold to through the physical retail experience can also be used to to businesses advantages and can be used uh, with that experience uh, online so how can you use that expert advice that you might go to for someone in store online how can you translate that I think it's also it's about novelty too i think because a lot of the time when you're in store it is the the nice touches the nice feelings the things that feel special and i think some of the businesses that that i've certainly seen that i've certainly thought highly of and that then you know patronized over the last couple of months have been the ones that have gone yep we're in this kind of crazy time but we've come up with this idea and we don't know if it's going to work but give us a give us a shot and you're kind of going oh this is exciting let's try something new and oh i'm supporting them it makes you feel good you have that same sort of novelty experience when we actually looked at what people were missing from the physical experience as well it's quite interesting to see that it that it was it was a lot about the experience. It was a lot about uh, the interaction with people. It was a lot about going out with friends. It was a lot about um, getting 
having a bite to eat or drink as you were doing it. It wasn't actually so much necessarily about the, the physical shopping experience um, as you might imagine, albeit consumers still wanted sometimes to feel what the product was like. Mm. Um, but interestingly, quite low in that list was the sales assistant and how the sales assistant could could help you. So I think when we're thinking about experience, be that either in physical retailing or in online retailing, we have to think about that overall experience. It isn't just transactional. It isn't just about finding the right product for you. It's also about the whole experience, how you interact with people, what's uh, what the additional story is, what's entertaining. And we need to build those into the experiences that we have, be those physical or, or online. Do you want to add anything to that, Herb? Yeah, I mean, as Hugh was talking there, it just sort of uh, took me back to my childhood when uh, when we needed a new TV. And, you know, going to get a new TV was a family event <laughs> yeah it was everybody in the car go oh we're going out to get a, a, a tv and I, I know it's probably not that exciting these days but it is those kind of eventful things that uh that folks for for a number of different products and well i mean we also got different shopper types i mean there are there, there definitely are still people that would look at getting a new tv as a bit of an event and everybody needs to be involved and there's a big consultation not just at home but also you know in the store and sort of looking at uh, at the at different options it's that kind of uh, experience i mean uh, i do still think that uh, the, the the physical space still has a huge role to play in that um but on on the other hand i'm also an avid cyclist i i love cycling when i consider getting a new bike uh, it, it is a process Believe me, it is a very long process. <laughs> um, I, I do a huge amount of ming and ahhing around, you know, what is my next bike going to be? Um, and unfortunately, because of the price range of these kinds of things, um, most stores won't just have them in stock. Mm. So I can't go and see and touch and feel. So this is where, um, from a branded website, uh, it becomes massively important. So to be able to get that kind of immersion and that kind of feel for the product through a site, and there are some sites which are way better than this uh, than others, but um, I mean, Canyon, for example, is online only. And they are very good at being able to really show the detail and the finer details around the product um, uh, on their site. Um, but it is because they are, are online only. But I think there's still, when you are able to provide that kind of immersive content and be able to sort of replicate that, um, that physical world in the, in the digital site, it's a huge bonus, but there's still a massive risk associated with it. You know, think about what started happening, um, you know, uh, with TVs, with stores, um, when online shopping started to boom. I would go and experience the product and I'd get everything that I need in store. Then I'd go home, look online and see where I could buy it cheapest. So this is some of the, that drop-off challenge. So we still see quite a few people um, getting that kind of inspiration and experiencing the brand on the branded site but then potentially disappearing somewhere else and transacting somewhere else. Now, a lot, of re or a lot of brands will say, well, as long as they buy my product, I'm okay. But, well, don't we take it further than that and say, beyond the immersive experience that I can, um, I, I can really get that you know, virtual touch and feel of the product on my website, that's where some of the other hooks need to be put in place saying, 
what is it that's going to help me stay here and actually transact with the brand site rather than doing the you know uh, the, the virtual example of okay so I've left the store and I'm going to to look for it uh, uh, at the cheapest place online uh, and that's where it it has to be more than just the article and the item itself it is when I buy this item through the branded website I'm going to get something additional whether it is um, you know, uh, exclusive content. There are a range of things to, to consider around why would I buy it here and not just go and uh, find the cheapest alternative uh, uh, on any other site online. And it's those hooks, it's those kinds of things to say. And, and a lot of that um, is effectively going to be um, in content and, uh, and um, uh, let's say, uh, things around the product and not on the product itself. Um, there are things that uh, folks can do in terms of I can customize my my purchase here uh, more than or that I wouldn't be able to do on uh, on a generic marketplace. Um, but I think that that is limited to certain products and certain product types. Um, so beyond customization, I think there's value in in what are the supplementary services and what is the content that you're going to get from me because you've bought it here. I want to I want to end this discussion with a little bit of advice from the both of you. Um, obviously based on on the research that you've both done and and the kind of expertise you built up over the years. You know, if if I was a, a list, someone listening to this podcast right now, working for a brand, I'm thinking about you know how do I balance being as seamless as I possibly can without impacting the bottom line way too much. Um as well as, you know, not having to invest too much upfront to make these, you know, I'm thinking about the, the most brilliant websites out there. You know, if you're, if you don't, don't have that already, that's quite a big bit of upfront investment. Um, so I, you know, what would be the advice, uh, from you guys from a starting point for a brand? What question should, uh, should they ask themselves or what should be the sort of first point of investigation when thinking about how to ensure that, you know, the customer experience online um, for the customer, particularly in these times of COVID, um, is as, as, as seamless, but also as beneficial as possible to, to attract customers to come there. Hugh, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I think I think probably experience we get from from meeting lots of organisations is that they they tend to be product centric rather than customer centric. Now, no organisation will ever tell you that it's product centric. It will always tell you it's customer centric and consumer centric. But the reality is, is that most of them are product centric. Um, what we tend to do is is uh, look into what consumers actually want. Um, so lots of stuff on customer experience, mapping, uh, talking to customers uh, and consumers, and actually then replaying that back to organisations. I think that is that is really important in this very complex uh, customer journey to work out exactly where your consumers are happy with the experience and where they're not happy from the experience, and then develop a strategic plan off the back of that. Normally, what that means is um, clarity honesty simplicity i think which which maybe boils it down to too simplistically but i think it's really important that that consumers get the information that they want and need and we've talked already about kind of availability and, and making sure that that's clear so i think that they're probably very simplistically what i would say organizations need to look at that being said and i know sort of the question was how can you do this quickly and easily and without too much investment the reality of the online experience is that it needs to be great across every single touch point so it has to be great when the consumer gets to to the website or the mobile site or the app um, 
it has to be simple it has to be clear but all those elements around it also need to be really good um, you don't necessarily need to own your own distribution channel but you need to make sure that your distribution channel fits with what your consumers are expecting you need to make sure that that delivery is easy convenient fast you need to make sure that your returns process is good you need to make sure that your customer service is good um, because organizations that concentrate purely on that online experience tend to forget the rest of it um, tend to leave that up to partners to deal with and actually the consumer doesn't see it as uh as you know multiple different parts of a journey they just see it as as one journey and will will look back and and that will affect their experience of that uh, company or organization or brand um from the experience they've had so while that requires time effort and budget i think it's really important that that infrastructural element of uh, online commerce is is really invested in and is a high strategic priority for any business herb from your perspective what would be your kind of um your starting point if it comes to to brands coming to you with the same sort of problem where would you begin yeah um so <laughs> that consumers and customer centricity uh, i'll just borrow from uh, from Hugh uh, exactly the same starting point but uh, I think for for the purposes of uh, of our discussion today um, and looking at the uh, branded websites or let's say owned estate um, one of the key pieces of advice I, I'd give on that is be absolutely crystal clear what you want the role of your owned estate to be because we do see a lot of organizations uh, that are a bit confused around what they really want to be able to do and um, to engage with consumers in their own estate versus promoting the brand and building up brand equity and wherever the product gets sold, that's okay as long as it's our product. Amazing, guys. Thank you so much for, for sharing both your advice, but also lots of ideas and research um, and, and experience throughout this discussion. Hopefully those listening have got tons from this. I know I already have. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks very much for listening. You can find links in the show notes to the two reports that we were talking about today in the episode. There's the Wonderman Thompson Commerce Report on COVID, commerce and the consumer and the collaboration report between Wonderman Thompson Commerce and Cognified, which is called Translating Content into Commerce. Don't forget to tune in next month when we're joined with industry experts to delve into the strategic choices that brands should consider if they are to survive and thrive PC post-corona. <laughs>